This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Today's episode is with Our Lady J. I'm actually just about to record it, and I, I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but um, Our Lady J is somebody I've seen perform and run into at a bunch of things here in Los Angeles over the years, and it's just been really cool to watch her uh, career expand and also um, her honesty. So I'm, I'm assuming that she's going to be super open, honest on this podcast too. Ooh, ooh I'm excited. Also, I want to just send a shout out to myself. Uh, Rape Jokes, which was the uh, special I put out in June of last year, we're like above $95,000 raised for rain. So you can watch it for free on my website, CameronEsposito.com. And then if you want to, you can choose to donate and the money goes to rain. My goal has always been 100K. I'm super proud of 95. Uh, I would love it if you just kept the word spreading and, and if you just kept donating. I still see new folks donating every day, you know, get an email when you donate. And um, it really means a lot to me that not only uh, did Time Magazine say it was the number four best special of 2018, but also I put it out independently and I have enough support from folks like you that um, it still was, I think, very impactful, um, especially because of that moolah, which goes to do the real work that helps folks who are survivors of assault. So friends, head over to CamiEsposito.com. That's not what it is. It's CameronEsposito.com. <laughs> and, uh, and watch this special. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hey friends, so there was a tiny mix-up with a time that we recorded this, and so this is a shorter episode than usual. Uh, but still, like, I think going to be about 45 glorious minutes. So enjoy. And also, I hope I make my flight. <laughs> I usually have folks, not usually. I say that. I always do this. I okay. always have folks <laughs> introduce themselves. Okay. So uh, would you introduce yourself? Sure. I am Our Lady J. I am a... TV writer and producer, currently on Pose, formerly of Transparent, and I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here too, and I also just want to say that you had like a, you're rushing in from, how does lateness affect you? Like I can't from, even deal. For me, it's, uh, I, I've, it's very difficult. I have so, so much shame. It's from right my now. childhood, um, where I like <laughs> very fully have a... I am, like, actually, like, not a late person, but I grew up sort of always being, like, the human in my family that was the slowest. Mm. And I think that's because, number one, my family moves um, at a uh, maniacal speed. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I think I was just, like, kind of gay and had a hard time getting out the door. Does that make any sense? Like, <laughs> I just was, like, a lot of I was just, like, I'm so gay that I'm slow. Like, I'm, like, it's very physically slow. Like, it's, like, my body feels like it's weighed down by, um... <laughs> something and I think it's my well uh, my lack of awareness of 
why I feel so different. I think there's a reason behind that. And and I, that Marilyn Monroe would talk about that a lot. She was like always two hours late We're the for same. everything. Basically the same as queer people. Yeah. But it's, you know, trying to take control of your life when other people have control of it is really what constant lateness is about. I'm so sorry I was late today. I haven't been oh. constantly late since my alcoholism in the 90s. That was a long time ago. Well, look, <laughs> um, I don't feel stressed about it. I okay, feel, um, or angry we'll or anything fast. like that. We'll I feel more fast. so just like I wanted to kind of make you feel um, like you could tell me what was really going on. Because like, you. you know, sometimes in your body, <laughs> you zoom in and, and uh, you don't get a chance to I'm feel I'm having that. flashbacks of that, that need to control, which I gave up a long time ago. Yeah? You know, I grew up in a military family. Um, well, my two younger brothers are military, my grandfather, great-grandparents, and all that. But we were, um, we were in an Amish and Mennonite community. So, like, lots of hillbillies, lots of military folks, lots of Mennonites, lots of evangelicals. Wait, where is this geographically? Pennsylvania. Of course, yes. It's just, like, that's, southern I'm, that's Pennsylvania. That's what I assumed, but I did not. Anyway. <laughs> so you have, like, all of those cultures coming together, and the one thing they all have in common is that they're very regimented. And so when I was a child, if we were two minutes late to church, it was a, it was unacceptable. So I still carry that with me as an adult. Yes. Well, this is um, not church, and you, you are doing. We're gonna, can me we go to church? Though I would like to go to church with you. Do you go? As in, like, no, no. As in, like, testify to the spirit and oh get my real. God, yes. I mean, I feel like we're already there. That's like, I, I love <laughs> the honesty and the things that we've already covered. It's been. Um, I don't have a watch. Two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we've gotten. Do you see what we're doing? I love it. That's because we're doing well. You're trying to meet people where they are, um, and I can tell you, you do that too. I appreciate that. Um, and I, and I, you know what else I, well, I said this kind of like in the intro that I recorded before you came here. Uh, I feel like we met for the first time maybe when I hosted the GLAAD Awards that you performed at, uh, mm-hmm. which was, I don't literally don't even know when that was, like 2015 or something maybe. Wow. Um, and uh, since then, I've seen you, like just from afar, continue to have um, like some, some success and some... Um, maybe a little bit more ownership on pose because I don't even know what your specific job title change is, but it's a bigger job at pose, right? In terms of just like the, like, are you in? I'm a writer producer. Writer producer. And were Mm -hmm. you that on Transparent? I was. You were? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then maybe. But I started as a staff writer at Transparent. Got it. So my first season there, I worked from staff editor, staff writer to story editor to producer to supervising producer. Right, right, right. Um, well, it just seems like things are moving in a positive direction for you. Thanks. Sometimes people they don't have, say It's that been going well. Thank us. you. <laughs> I'm really happy. Yeah. I'm happy to have, um, I've always felt like I've had something to say and I've, I've been an artist. You know, I started playing the piano when I was four years old. And so communicating and storytelling have been one and the same in my creative endeavors. But... It feels nice to have the world finally meet that. <laughs> I'm 40 now. So 36 years later, I feel like the world is in a place where we can hear trans voices and we can hear, um, I can be met without fear, without so much fear. There's still lots of fear. But when I first opened my mouth as a singer-songwriter, you know, 15 years ago, people were just really afraid of a trans person having something to say. And we've come so far. So more than, I think, my pride with my career, I'm just really proud of our community and of our, our world and how far we've come. At four, 
Was that a choice or I'm, I'm, I'm asking cause I, I'm trying to imagine like, uh, well, like when I was a kid, I was signed up, for, signed up for a lot of things, you know, sure. um, as opposed to opting in. And, um, the way I remember it, my parents bought a piano at this auction. Auctions were a big thing in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you know, we don't really go shopping, we go to auctions. <laughs> So we would go to these auctions, and they got, like, a piano for, like, $99. I loved this piano. It was, like, 120 years old. And I just remember, like, banging on it all the time. And I think they just wanted me to make nice sounds instead of (laughs) sounds that were perhaps atonal and more modern. Um, So they got me in lessons shortly after that. Did it feel good right away? No, I hated it. I had this teacher, rest in peace, Mrs. Hare. Um, like, like, like eight. Hare. <laughs> well, she was really ferocious, actually. Yeah. One, one thing I loved about her, she had an Avon basket, like a sample basket. So when we would go to her place, I would always, I would tell her it was my birthday, like every other week. And I think she was just being nice and humoring me, and she would just give me a little bit of makeup. So I had like these those little Avon sample lipsticks that I would, you know, put lipstick on. I'm having like a memory right now that I haven't experienced for a long time. Wow. So she was really great, but then she also like beat my hands with a pencil, like if I would make a mistake. So I didn't like that so much. Yeah, complicated feedback. Yes. <laughs> 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 Complicated feedback. That tends to happen in life. Mm-hmm. That does tend to happen mm-hmm. in life. You were putting that makeup on. Where were you, like, geographically in your in your house or um, maybe geographically? Well, and geographically within your house. Give me the um, latitude, <laughs> longitude. No, I mean, like, what, what room would you be in? Or would you well, be somewhere else that wasn't your house? I didn't know it was a bad thing until I put it on my brother. Like, I just drew, like, all over his face, like, prison tattoos. Um, and it was just beautiful. I was expressing myself. And then I got in a lot of trouble for that. And then the more I got called, you know, and in school, the teasing, taunting and teasing really didn't happen until junior high, as, you know, most queer people understand, or at least queer people my age. I think it's better for the youth. But um, so elementary school was okay. But then once the externalized teasing happened, I knew that this was a very bad thing that I had to hide. Yeah. What was this? What was the theme of the of the teasing? Was it like um, a lot of body shaming around my weight? Oh, you know what? I actually got that too. Wow. That was also my teasing. Wow. Because a lot of times I think for queer folks, it's like um, like I wasn't I. I really wasn't shamed so much for um, like what I what might have been masculinity or butchness or whatever, because mm-hmm. um, it was like post Title IX, women could play sports. It wasn't it wasn't um, like you didn't watch women's sports, but like children <laughs> could play sports that were right. uh, being cultured female and um, right. So like I definitely didn't get yeah like sometimes I talk to people on this show and they talk about like specific words that are like you know, queer slurs or whatever. I like did not get those, but I just got a lot of body shame stuff on weight issues, which I think was actually people being like, something's wrong. Right. What is it? What? You you look different. Is it the, like the slight (laughs) extra weight you carry in your middle? Cause I really wasn't heavy. Um, and, uh, and I only say that like, not like because I really believe in uh, shaming heavy children, but because 
it's so clear to me that that's what was going on. Right. But like, what was? So well, I did just, have the additional slurs. Yeah. I'm trigger for everyone in the Congratulations. audience. Congratulations. But I was like, fat faggot was something I heard often. Oh man, that is so tough. That's it is tough. a little poetic. The two Fs and the right. two As. Literative. At least they tried. Yes. But it was pretty traumatizing. Right. Um, and then they called me Liberace. Um, oh, because wow. I was a flamboyant pianist. I got really good at the piano because I realized it was something I could hide in and I could escape my bullies through that. So I would perform all the time. Like my mom would be like, tell your music teacher that you just learned a new piece and you want to play it. Oh, so you're like at school. I'm at school. These people already think this is what's, there are, mm -hmm. and you. Um, and then I dazzle them with my talents. And then you dazzle them with your talents. And then I become Liberace. Yeah. So I realized, you know, maybe I should put on a rhinestone or two. Um, and eventually, I, I owned that. Mm -hmm. My dog's name is Liberace now. Oh, wow. One of my dogs. <gasps> so it was, it was very vocally anti-queer. Yeah. But there was a, a lot of body stuff. It was probably equal, the body shaming. Mm. You have a dog named Liberace now. You wore You added a rhinestone then. Like, I mean, Absolutely. Moving into that. It took me a while to find the rhinestones. I was going to say, like, you know, moving into that and, like, reclaiming it, that's all, you know, rad. But, like, man, there's that middle part where... Oh, honey, I don't remember any of it. Yeah? Yeah. I, I don't remember 1994 to 2004. You said that uh, it was... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but, like, you said it was it was drinking for you? Those were the hard, hard years. I did drink. I drank a lot, actually. I discovered that... Um, all of the bad feelings went away. And so it, I think most people, when they drink, they feel relaxed and maybe a few bad feelings went away. But for me, I was able to finally not look at the burning question of my identity, which was that I had always felt feminine. I didn't know what the word trans was. I, I didn't have that vocabulary. I didn't know how to express myself. But I knew my femininity was shut down really early on. And so, luckily, I got a handle on my drinking relatively fast. I got sober at a really young age. And um, I realized after I got sober that the thing that I was running from was my gender identity. And so I came out as trans shortly after that. And if you don't mind my asking, and you can certainly say if this is too personal a question, but I just, obviously this is, um, you know, uh, issues of, Chemical dependence or alcoholism are such a part of our community, as they're part mm -hmm. of every community. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I always, when somebody has this story, I'm always curious about like what, like how did, you, like how did you do this? You know, how did you make the, um, like, if anything that you feel like you want to share about the mm -hmm. steps that you took or how you were able to move in? Because I'm sure there are people listening who, sure, they like they don't know what to do. No, absolutely. There's a lot of support out there. You know, there are twelve step groups. There, I mean, thank God for LGBT centers. Um, yeah. Gay men's health crisis helped me a lot in New York um, with harm reduction therapy. Um, but the main trigger for me that inspired me to come out was I found out I was HIV positive in 2004, and um, I knew I needed to be healthy after that. So I couldn't just hide away, um, you know, especially around the fat shaming as a kid. I just did not want to look at my body around um, the femme shaming, the transness. I just wanted to escape from my body. And that HIV diagnosis for the first time really put me in my body. It was like, girl, you got to listen up. 
because you're not going to stay on this planet long if you don't. So that woke me up. Wow. I mean, that's still a huge amount of effort and um, action required on your part. Like we can, things can, yeah. we can get information about ourselves and we can choose to not give a fuck sure. about making changes. Well, luckily there was a, I had a lot of help along the way. Yeah. I think um, that made me reach out to other people for help for the first time. And I really learned the value of community and the value of sisterhood and admitting that I couldn't do everything on my own, admitting that I was ashamed, that I was ashamed to have HIV, that I was ashamed to be trans. And how was I going to move beyond that? I had to look towards people who were not ashamed and people who had really led the way to um, removing stigma. Um, and and that required a lot of vulnerability, but it was something that I had seen reflected in a, a lot of beautiful people. And so... Um, there is help out there. I think if anyone is listening and struggling with those things, um, you know, vulnerability is courage. And if we lean into that, we can find our family. And those are the people who are going to help lift us up. Man, that's, I, I can't tell you how much that like specifically. Well, I, um, you know, I haven't really talked about this on the show, but it just feels like a, I would be disingenuous if I didn't like bring it up in this moment. Um, I'm going through a separation in my life and what you're talking about, like, I think what's great about stand-up comedy, uh, which is my main field, mm -hmm. is that you can like kind of share your feelings in this way that is like the most control. Like mm -hmm. you've actually practiced the way you're going to say it. <laughs> um, you charge people admission to hear you talk about it. So, you know, it's not a burden because they are paying you and it's a date night for right, them right um and uh you know i think for myself like i used humor as a coping mechanism for so long a lot of mm -hmm. it having to do with like this you know body shame stuff or like uh the slowness that i'm even talking about like all those things and so i just like developed this awesome tool for that sense of humor and then i like rode that like as far as that like one tool could take me. And I think sure. that's something, I mean, that's, that could that could be alcohol. You know what I mean? Like right. you find one tool. Mm -hmm. It's also not even like an unuseful tool. Like you're saying like alcohol, you know, makes you calm down. It's like that works. Yeah. Till you realize that like one tool is just really not enough. Until and it I turns think, on you. Until it turns on you. <laughs> alcohol can turn on you. Your career might take a little longer for that to turn on you. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, I will say that was my experience this year was realizing that like I, uh, have provided community for a lot of other people, but mm -hmm. that I like felt uh, that I, that the only way that I could talk to people was like, like it, like as it starts to be a bigger part of your life. And I'm not, right. I'm not saying these are, there's a direct correlation, mm -hmm. but sometimes the feelings can be the same, even if there isn't a direct correlation. Um, you know, I just realized that like what I needed to do was behave extremely differently with like friends and, mm. um, and, like, not put off actually telling people what was going on because right. I was, like, too busy or traveling or because it was too private or because, you know, whatever. Right. And it was really just because, like, the one thing that I had was not serving the thing of, like, oh, well, I have this huge change in my life. I've gotten this really new information that's, like, painful and it's going to require mm -hmm. a lot of changes. And uh, I can't just, like go out and only make jokes about would it. Your, would your um, 
dealing with that normally be to just put it into your work right Absolutely. away? Absolutely. Yep. I see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm the girl who calls everybody. I have like four best friends. <laughs> and all I do when I drive is call and cry about everything. <laughs> And they're old, old friends, so they're all super vaulted. And I know that they, you know, keep my secrets. And, um, you know, so if I, you know, get rejected on a date, the first thing I do is call my sisters yeah. and cry. And then I put it into the work. How did you that. meet those people? How are they? How did they enter your life? They're the people who helped me stay alive when I was in my, my yeah. lowest point. And, you know, there's really something to those friendships, to the people who are with you when you're going through something that's scary and for those people who aren't scared away but those people who really still see the light in you even though this this difficult thing is happening in your life um so really i guess we're bonded by trauma yeah (laughs) that would be accurate right um bonded by trauma and uh that makes sense to me i also think um like honesty in that moment being honest with people and having them mm. not turn away is is like a, for me mm-hmm. a revelatory experience. Like I I feel like um, always thought maybe I had to present like a different like mm. what if I shine this up a little bit for you so that it's like easier for you to deal with. Yeah, you know. But totally. when you're like in your trauma so hard, it's very it's like that's so much energy you literally can't. Yeah. So you just have to be like, no, this is like the actual thing. And uh, I have found, like, to my surprise, that um, lately people are, like, okay with that slash appreciate it. Like, I, like I always was just, like, everybody wants me to, like, chill it the fuck out before I hand it over. And people are, and people are uh, giving me feedback that that is actually untrue. They feel, like, trusted right. and brought into my life. And I am, like, you are kidding me right, right now. <laughs> you mean I can cry and you're going to see a reflection of your own humanity oh my and God. feel something? Are you a good crier? <laughs> I am. Oh, man. like I have I, to be in the right spot, though. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm like... I am like a terrible crier usually. Uh, okay. And I'm. Uh, what, what do you mean, terrible crier? Well, crier. Um, like, okay. Uh, number one, it, it historically has rarely happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it did happen, would be like, I mean, it's like so much <laughs> effort is happening. The volcano is about to burst. One tear. You know what I mean? Like literally just like she's overwhelmed. Boop. And like just fully. I'm still fully hydrated. Like, yeah, I'm done. But I have like a terrible headache, you know, because I'm just like. uh, um, Botox helps with Yeah. It really does. It's like it forces you to express through other areas because you just can't express that part of your face anymore. Your forehead? Yeah. If you like Botox, whatever you Botox, you're normally used to, you know. Winding like, that up. I haven't done it. First of all, I just have to say this is a side step, but I haven't done any of that stuff yet. Who knows if I ever will. I'm glad we're finally on the topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you have any questions or if you need to know the right doctors. Yeah, I'll give you a ring. Give me a ring. I'm serious. Um, Maria Bamford who's an awesome stand-up comic, has, like, some jokes about how her worry is that it's, like, facial expression is such a 
part of the job. Oh, yeah. Like it's like like right. keeping your face like truly in step with no, the expression totally. you mean to make is like actually yeah. so important for specifically my field. Like even no, more so than like somebody who's on TV because you can use like micro expressions. Right. Um, uh-huh. But if you're on stage, usually you're like yeah. performing for anybody that's like in the – um, balcony and stuff. Right. This is like literally where my brain goes with this. No, that no, that's so smart because like, I've I've watched actresses who can't move, and I just want to, you know, call their doctor and say, "What are you doing to them? Like, you need to yes. really ease up on people who do that for a living." I'm a writer. I'm behind the scenes. So I'm just gonna <laughs> freeze the fuck out of my face. <laughs> I also feel like I don't know. I guess I feel. It's not like I look at in the mirror and I'm like, I see no signs of aging. I can't tell how I feel about it yet. It's great, right? Can I ask how old you are? I'm 37. Yeah, so we're the same age. I'm yeah. 40. Yeah. I love when I hit 40, honestly. I like had a cigarette and I was like, I don't care. I'm having a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> not to say that you should go into self-destructive behaviors, but I felt like I didn't need to apologize anymore. Hmm. And now with my my Botox and surgeries and everything that we're talking about. I don't really do it to look younger. I want to look like that old frozen bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like a youth aesthetic. Okay. It's that's a, actually it's a beauty aesthetic. Um that's interesting. Oh. I guess that also puts I don't know what my I don't know what my beauty aesthetic is in terms of like what I think the my face should actually look like. Maybe I'm going back to Mrs. Hare, my piano teacher. Maybe. And the but, Avon basket. But she I mean, was that, always so snatched. Yeah. I mean, that's actually that's actually what I'm <laughs> – right, exactly. Well, like, what you're describing – I mean, I know what you're talking about. I know what that face is or whatever. But I think for me it's like um, even in – like, even just in Hollywood, I don't even mean, like, in the world outside of here. But, like, I look at, like, somebody who's maybe more on my end of the – presentation spectrum and like what is your face supposed to do and i don't mean that like i don't mean that like i need to um i personally making the choice to follow what other people are but like literally what's even being presented to me as the options for what a more masculine face is i think it's It's whatever you want it to be right yeah but you know we still get cues from the outside world i guess what i'm saying is i don't see some like um you know like butch dyke that i'm like there are so many of these faces presented to me, and I know what I'm supposed to look like when I'm 60 or something. Like, I just don't uh, feel like, who are those people even? I mean, I see so many faces? butch dykes where I'm like, I want that face. <laughs> who, okay, who are they? I don't know. I love all my butchies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to name names. You don't like to name names? No. <laughs> okay. I guess I just feel like it's like I look at, um, like, I guess I look to men. I feel a little bit more like David Bowie. Mm-hmm. But that person aged in a way that was maybe a little bit feminine. Sure. I wish we had better words. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So you consider David Bowie like a Butch Dyke? Yeah. I mean, sort of. But yeah, then I'm like, that makes sense. But then it's like, is that it's that that person, and then also like Robert Redford? How do those people combine? Mm. They have a very different amount of lines on their yeah. face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So it's hard to know like what I would want you know because we, we do like yeah, we are affected by things that are modeled for us i dated yeah. a butch for a while and she was oh, you just gave me a look <laughs> i give you eyebrows two of them at the same time oh please don't mind me i'll look over my wow. uh lids at you yeah but she was ageless like truly ageless oh, I, yeah? I had i still have no idea how old she is 
And that was like <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> and we're good friends still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I suppose I don't actually, I don't actually know that. Who, like, in terms of folks that you date, is there a... I mostly date men, specifically really gorgeous men. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, occasionally if a butch comes along and has that same masculinity, it's really about the attitude and the masculinity for me. Mm. I'm flexible. Yeah. Word. Has that always been true? Like, um, no, I was very rigid with my, my attractions when I was younger. I was like, I just want a daddy period. You know, I was 20 and I was like, just give me a daddy. And then, um, when I transitioned, everything kind of changed, and I saw beyond gender in a way that I hadn't seen before. So I just opened myself up to, well, I stopped seeing gender in people's bodies as much and more gender as an attitude. And so I, I opened up to that. Where it did, did change. Where did you live uh, when you were transitioning? Where did you live? What city did you live in? I lived in New York, so it was a lot easier for me to transition there than anywhere else. Um, but at the same time, there New York has a lot of toxic masculinity. I think mm. everyone knows that. What do you mean? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was called out a lot. On- I've actually never th- – I know this is – I'm going to just t- take a pause and say, mm-hmm. yes, it does. And I've literally never even thought about that. Literally, Being able to it's put my. Literally Donald Trump's home. Yes. But also just like, <laughs> where, I'm walking here. He like, feels it's like most the most comfortable living is New York. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Everybody's so, you know. Toxic. About to punch each other on the train. Yeah, I hate That's it. That's what that is. I, fr- I couldn't. Hate it. I've never been able to <laughs> what that is. Well, everybody thinks it's about like the downtown queers, but they're all gone. They've all left. They've all moved to LA. Like LA is the new Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And so we're all out here <laughs> making our weird art. Some of us are making, you know, more mainstream stuff, but like it's it's all out here now. And I found like a real acceptance of femininity mm. in LA. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I will see that in, I mean, I will say my, my older sister is like super, uh, super straight, but also in the art world. So like her actual life that she lives every day is like this kind of very normative, like straight life. But Mm -hmm. then she's, she comes out here and she always remarks on like what she sees the straight men doing in terms of parenting. And really? that is something that leads me to believe there's some acceptance of the feminine. <laughs> what are the straight men doing as to parenting out here? Um, uh, holding their children, oh. uh, like going to the park with their children. Mm, maybe um, I still want a daddy. I just, I, <laughs> I, I feel like it's like there are still places, so you know, sweet. I forget that there are, because I'm like, because my paradigm isn't the, you know, straight cisgender family unit. Yeah. Um, I sometimes forget that we still live in a world where, like, men babysit their children. Right. You know, like, that that's the word that they use or whatever. And so. Well, I live in West Hollywood, so it's yeah. all men babysitting their children. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, there yeah. are different parts of LA. Yeah, yeah. You're, right. you're probably talking about Silver Lake, because I know there's a lot of straight folks in Silver Lake. Well, I'm, Is I'm, that right? I'm thinking about, like, remembering <laughs> that there are straight people that live anywhere and, ha- right. and have families and stuff. And that, like, because LA does feel very um, kind right. of. Like queered and and uh, well, what's interesting about being trans is that those are the guys that are interested in me, mm-hmm. the straight men, but they haven't really figured it out yet because nobody's really talking to each other about it. So I date a, 
only straight men. I wish I could date a gay man. I really would love a gay boyfriend. But they're just, I have really big boobs. And they're really not into that. Yeah. Unless you're on stage and sure. putting a dollar bill. In, and, you know, and that's not <laughs> what I want. But that's not how I want to be treated. Although it's a perfectly fine way to be treated if that's the way you want to be treated. What is that like? I What is it like uh, if you're dating a straight man? Um, I don't mean like, it's obvious to me why that person would be attracted to you. That's not the question I'm asking. Um, more so just like you are part of this culture that like they are not part of. Right. It's very uh, confusing for them. And I, they've often been vocal about their confusion to me, which has been helpful in my television writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but also hurtful as a human. Um, it's come a long way, though, since I first transitioned in 2005. And now, like, almost 15 years later, they're coming out and being like, okay, yes, trans women are women. Mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, when you see me on a dating site, like, people don't know I'm trans, thanks to all of my many doctors um, who have removed the masculinity from my body. Um, my voice is still a bit deeper, so sometimes that that clocks me. Um, or sometimes they just think I'm like a Kathleen Turner who smokes lots of cigarettes and drinks wine. <laughs> Um, so my stomach just growled. Did you hear that? I think mine growled at the exact same moment. Wow. So there was like some coverage. Hunger yeah. over desire. Maybe, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so the guys often are really cool with me um, because I'm more passable now, but I'm still very tall. So uh, they're often cool in private and on that first date. But then when it comes to a relationship... They're, they don't know how to integrate that into their lives. They don't know how to tell their friends that they're dating a trans woman because there's so much stigma around that. And I think also homophobia. They don't want to be seen as gay, right. even though it wouldn't be a gay relationship. Um, so there's there's less and less movement. I find with like millennials, um, I've gone on quite a few dates with like 28-year-olds lately. And I feel like maybe I'm a little bit of a cougar, but that's not my my like typical preference because like sometimes you just can't have an adult conversation. Sure. Um, but that generation is much more open to dating trans women, the straight men. They're so much more open. Like, um, you know, they won't be asking you to meet them in a dark parking lot somewhere. Mm. They'll actually meet you up for dinner. They might tell you they can't afford dinner, but but they at least want to meet you for dinner. Um, And that's refreshing because I know, you know, folks are coming around. Um, But I don't know. Have you dated a 28-year-old before? Not. um, I've done, like, I've done, let's see. I've done 10 years older and I've done... Mm. um, I think maybe seven years younger is like the biggest gap mm. I've done on either side. And uh, I always like, of course I live in a world where I understand that like age can't be the ultimate thing that divides us because I believe that there are not, because I you know have to believe that there aren't other things that divide us. But I have found for myself, like what I ended up experiencing um, sometimes, like not always, but with that age spread was just like, that it meant that we were 
at different places in terms of self-sufficiency. And that was a huge factor. My issue is the calendar. (sighs) They cannot keep a calendar. (laughs) Sure, yeah, (laughs) Every single time. Yeah. I'm like, we said we're meeting at 7.30. That's not flexible the (laughs) day of. you got to give me 24 hours. Mama's busy. Yeah. Mama's real busy. That makes sense. I mean, and I also just want to say, just to circle back, like, everything that you just told me about, um, like, dating straight men is... Absolutely, like, uh, you know, stuff I've heard from folks and, like, you know, we see it included in, like, um, you know, statistics about things that are dangerous and all those things. And what I was also curious about was, was like, actually what it's like for you, framing it like, you know, I love being part of the queer community and Mm -hmm. the LGBT community. And then, like, I have so many friends that, like, I really love and trust that are, like, a straight a straight cis person that is like outside of our community mm. and like we love each other and we see each other and then i have this one extra thing that they are not part of like it's like right. a community that i have and that's actually what i was curious about is like if you ever feel like that you have oh yeah some things about you it's like not that i am so concerned about them it's more like right what is it like for you well i have gay trauma to be yeah, real right yeah i do have a lot of gay trauma right and i i i love my my queer community so i mean sometimes when they see rupaul's drag race on my tvr they're like what's that and i'm like you gotta go yeah <laughs> you gotta go. i'm sorry that you know what there it is like expecting some amount of like self-education or whatever to you gotta least, know a little yeah. bit about queer culture <laughs> you if you're to gonna get, get with the a door. trans woman yeah i mean this trans woman not yeah. every trans woman but i do sure. feel like i'm very much in queer culture and that can be difficult having the same language and the same aesthetic and the same you know humor yeah. even yeah absolutely but i believe the right ones out there yeah oh for sure i mean there are many Many right ones, let's just say. Of course. <laughs> you know, weirdly, because I have to go, um, I guess I have to go. We're going to wrap flight. up the, mm-hmm. the Do you want to continue this on FaceTime right on the tarmac? Yes. Like, okay. also, um, also, just, I have loved talking to you. This was such a great conversation. Thanks we, for having me We, on. like, we got through some stuff. We got through some stuff. <laughs> this is a comedy <laughs> Comedy podcast, yeah. right? Like, it's, well, it's, <laughs> it's like funny and fun, but it's also like real and yeah. Um, I think people will really respond to your honesty. Thank you. You're rad. I had a lot of fun. You're yeah. rad. Um, before I before I head out and before you go back to your life, I just wanted to ask you if you want to shout out a queero, which is a yes. human being or a person or place made you feel comfortable being who you are today. I mean, there I have so many queeros. Um, you know, Dolly Parton. Obviously, it's number one on my list. <laughs> oh, great. But um, RuPaul, like when I was watching VH1 in the 90s, gave me life. Um, and then the older I got, the more um, in my community they became. Alexandra Billings is a queero of mine. Laverne Cox is a queero of mine. Um, they're all around me. Yeah. Oh, man. I gave you four. Pretty lucky. Cool? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, well, Arlie J. What a delight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I Thanks really for being here. I love chatting. Let's talk as humans a different time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I see you at the Glad Awards. Oh, I don't up. think I'm going this year, but um, you can uh, just hold a hold a leather jacket and a photo with you, and it'll be like I was there. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. I will. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>